Hello, everyone, and welcome to worship today. We're in a series called Meaningful Membership, where we're talking about what the covenant expectations are of membership at Grace, but much more important than that, some of the incredibly high expectations that our Lord God has of us as his followers. Uh, the first week, we looked at this. So we said, I will love, honor, and obey Jesus Christ above all else in my life. Understanding that my life is my ministry, I will seek to represent Jesus well at all times. This is all about lordship, and we want as a people, a covenant people, to be able to affirm that and live that out with integrity. But then we give some examples of what will be included in that. This list is not exhaustive at all, because the word of God really becomes binding on our conscience, and whatever God teaches there, whatever it is, we could add dozens of things to, to this list. It, it becomes binding for us on our conscience. It's something that we pursue in our life. But the second week, we talked about prayer. We said, I will learn and practice the disciplines of private and corporate prayer. Jesus had a deep and very profound prayer life, and if we want to be like him, obviously, that's something we want to pursue. Third week, we talked about Scripture. We said, I will become a consistent student of the Scriptures. And we talked about hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and, and meditating on the Word of God. We want a people who just love God's Word and are eager, eager to integrate that truth into our lives and live it out. And then last weekend, we talked about corporate worship. We said, whenever I'm in the Capital District, I'm going to regularly participate in public worship, celebration, and fellowship with the corporate body of believers called Grace Fellowship. We talked about how critical it is that we be here when this is our team, not just for what we can get, but for how God will use us to bless others in the body. Now, let me say it again. I'll say it every week. If you practice these kinds of disciplines, these positive, life-changing disciplines out of a heart of love for Christ and never become a covenant member, oh my goodness, I'm ecstatic. Because it's all about these disciplines. It's all about how God's going to use them to make you deeper in Him. And if you practice these disciplines out of a heart of love for Christ and choose to become a covenant member, I'm doubly ecstatic. I think this is one amazing team, and I just love it when people get intentional and jump in with both feet and say, I'm in, all right? And I want to invite you, those of you that God may be preparing that way, to come to a, a class. I'm going to be teaching a class, something I've not done in years at Grace, but just because of this special series, on Sunday afternoon, February the 12th, there's going to be a membership class. It'll be a little bit abbreviated from what our class normally is. And uh, I'd love to see you there. Let us know you're coming, though. Child care is provided. We'd just like to be sure we're ready and have all the materials and all the, all the helpers that we need. But I'd love to see it. There's no commitment involved in coming to the class. You're just saying, I want to get more information. And by the way, there's many things that we cover in that class that I certainly will not be covering in this series on meaningful membership. But today, we want to look at the fifth affirmation, the positive discipline 
of growing in generosity. Here's how it reads. I will tithe at least 10% of my income to support the Lord's work. And what I want to do for the balance of our time is to unpack that statement for you. Most of us know individuals, couples, or families that are in pretty deep trouble financially. Uh, they'll look and say, well, I, I just need to make more. I'm not making enough money. And they'll often say, if I could just have maybe 10% more, then everything would, would be okay. But the truth is, in our culture, often financial success and freedom is not about how much we make. It's often even more about how we manage what we have. I was at Walmart recently. You guys ever been to Walmart? You know, when Jesus returns, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, and new Walmart. I'm convinced. <laughs> It is one incredible cultural experience. i got to be honest with you. Sometimes I just walk into Walmart just to watch the people. There are a lot of interesting people that go to Walmart, and it's just like a, a study in culture to go there. And I picked up a few little items. I was holding them in my hands, and, and there was a dear family in front of me, a young couple. And it, it actually was interesting because in trying to pay for the items they had, they swiped one credit card after another. They were getting mad at each other. I thought a fight was going to break out. I really did. I've seen fights at Walmart before, and I thought there was going to be a fight break out right here at the counter because one card, I believe they swiped literally seven or eight cards. Finally, one card, one card was accepted. And and, and while it was almost humorous on one hand, really, as I stood there and just waited, I thought, how sad, really, because I just, my mind went to, I wonder what kind of financial bondage this family must be in and what kind of pressure that brings to them day after day. You see, folks, as Christians, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but here's the deal. It not only tells us how to find salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, it tells us about every other aspect of life. There's all kinds of amazing guidance and counsel in there on marriage, on relationships, on how to think, on how to work and approach the workplace and on business ethics, and it certainly has a ton of things to say about managing money. So today, I want to share with you five principles. They all happen to come straight out of the book of Proverbs, although they are found in other places in Scripture as well, and uh, I want to encourage you to, to listen carefully. Now, if you're brand new to Christianity, or maybe if you're just still kind of exploring, I want to tell you, I want to give you a little heads up, some of these topics may not even make sense to you because they are meat for mature believers. For those who are already following these principles and maybe Christ-centered people, they're going, to be, they're going to be saying amen in their heart, they're going to want to slap me high fives afterward because they know this is all true. But if you're brand new to this, you may say, wow, I just don't understand that. I don't get it. 
And that's okay, because that's where you are on the journey. But one day, I pray that God will bring you to a place of such Christ-centeredness that these things will make complete sense. And I especially want to give a, a challenge and an encouragement to the young people and the young couples in our midst. I'd like to ask you especially to listen carefully. Here's why. Because many of us grew, out, grew up without positive role models as parents in this area. Or maybe your parents were excellent role models in all kinds of ways, but they just happened to not teach you a lot about managing finances. Or maybe your parents tried to teach you about finances, but you at that time just didn't want to hear it. And so the truth is, at this point in your young life, you're just kind of going along with what the world does, and you're getting into deeper and deeper financial difficulty. And the truth is, if it doesn't turn around soon, you're going to be battling with financial burdens for the rest of your life. I like what Proverbs says, when it says, of what use is money in the hand of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom. Let me ask you something. Do you want to keep getting in that same emotional and financial rut over and over and over again? Do you want to continue to live under the stress of financial bondage? Or do you really want to know how to practice what Scripture says about financial freedom and how to be a true success in God's eyes financially? Well, if that's what you really want, I invite you to buckle your seatbelt and let's go along here on this journey. Five principles that will lead you to financial freedom. Principle number one, establish a realistic budget. It all begins right there. You've got to know how much you have and you've got to know where it's going. I love this passage from Proverbs 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. This is written, obviously, in an agricultural culture where there were crops and herds and flocks and that kind of thing. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. The Living Bible paraphrases that. Watch your business interest closely. And the only way I know to really do that is to have a realistic budget to know how much you have and to know where everything is going, to manage it wisely. If you do that, I think you'll discover that far from being restricting, it is actually a very liberating thing. Your budget doesn't have to be complicated, but it does need to be practical. You need to be able to use it. Debbie and I have uh, an app, free downloadable app on our smartphones that we use. It's called Every Dollar, and we love, did I, can I say it again? We love this app. We just smile when we think about the Every Dollar app. You know why? Because it has just simplified so many things for us. Earlier today, I, I put, uh, gas in my car. Well, I 
entered that $24 of gas into the Every Dollar app, and now it just calculates everything. I know how much we have remaining in that gasoline category for the rest of the month. The month is almost over. And Deb also, because it's constantly updated in real time, she knows exactly how much I spent. And so every dollar is accounted for. We love this. Dave Ramsey recommends this app, and I highly commend it to you. The Bible says in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. We gotta know where even the little expenditures are going. Now, every time I've talked about a budget, I know some people want to object. Some may object to a budget because they say, pastor, for me, it's just not practical. You see, uh, I, 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 I don't really know exactly how much money I'm gonna be making this year, right? So what should I do? It's just not practical. Well, I would suggest uh, that you budget for what you believe the minimum will be, and then when you make more, then sock it away and make adjustments to your budget next year. Others get real spiritual on this budgeting thing. They go, Pastor, I don't want to do that because that's not spiritual. Don't you know, brother, that we just need to trust God? We don't need a budget. That's not a spiritual thing. Well, there's nothing unspiritual about planning, folks. Jesus did say don't worry about tomorrow, but he never said don't plan for tomorrow. In fact, he commended careful planning. He said no one constructs a tower without first sitting down and counting the cost. Oh, there's another objection I hear. Pastor, I don't really need to worry about a budget because I make so much money, I don't need it. I... I, 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 I've got so much money, I can just get whatever I want, and I don't really need a budget. Well, I've got a word for you. Bless your heart. Yeah, bless your heart. Awesome. I am so happy for you. Do you know how many people would love to be in your shoes? I hope you do. That is a very blessed place to be. But can I also share with you a little secret? You know what? While that's an awesome situation to be in, you know what I think? I think if you actually created a realistic budget, I think you'd actually have more fun with your money. You'd know how much margin you've got exactly, you would be a better steward of it, and you would be more confident. And if you're a Christian, when you stand before God on Judgment Day one, one day, which we're all going to do, then you're going to actually be giving a better account for how you manage what you were given. Solomon was one of the wealthiest men who's ever lived, and yet he knew the condition of his flocks. He gave careful attention to his herds. He knew where the money was going. We've got to begin right there. The second principle I would commend to you, if you really want financial freedom, is to give to God first. Give to God first. In other words, it becomes a first fruits or a right up front, off the top, whatever phrase you want to use, kind of thing. I love this passage from Proverbs. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then 
your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God simply says, look, honor me first, and in the long run, I will see to it that you are blessed. And in our covenant membership, all we're doing is simply asking people to do what God says. That's all. It's nothing super duper. It's not some spectacular thing. It's just do, please, do what God says to do if you're a serious follower of Jesus. Just, just practice that. Do what the Bible says. Now, frankly, according to the national statistics that I read, most professing Christians are not honoring God with their first fruits. In fact, can I tell you what I, what I sense probably happens with a lot of people, a lot of families? Uh, they, they make their money, and then they see their bills, and then uh, they start paying all their bills and meet all their expectations, and then they do some other things that, that aren't really bills or obligations. They, they do a few things for themselves, and then take care of a few luxury items they want, and then they kind of look at it and go, if they've got any left over, then they kind of tip God. That, that's not giving God the first fruits, that's giving God the leftovers. That, that's not tithing, that's tipping. But all throughout the Bible, God says, look, you bring the first of the crop, the first of the spoils of battle, the first of the flock, and I will honor and bless that act. And by the way, make no mistake, that is a profound act of faith to do that. Because when you bring the first fruits, when you tithe right up front, you're saying, I'm trusting God to bring in the rest of the harvest. I'm trusting, boy, you talk about deepening your faith. You're saying, I'm trusting that God has got my back because I'm honoring him first. Malachi 3.10 reads like this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now let's go back just to that previous frame there where it says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You see that word, very interesting word. Most Bible scholars believe that the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament storehouse Okay, is the local church where your life is invested and where you're being nurtured in your faith. So that's what Debbie and I practice. I'm just telling you what we do. We tithe to Grace Fellowship Church because this is where our lives are invested. This is where we're being nurtured in the faith, and so we tithe 10% here. Now, we give beyond that 10% to numerous other things that we believe in and value. We, we've been supporting for years a young man in Kenya and kind of watched him grow up through the pictures that were sent. It's through Compassion International, and we're so happy to sow those seeds in his life and make that investment in his education and providing food and those kind of things. And we give to Samaritan's Purse. We give to short-term mission trips. We give to the Global Leadership Summit. We give gifts anonymously at times and to other causes that we believe in. But we call those offerings. That's what we call them. We tithe to our local church 
and we give offerings above and beyond that. I would urge you to do the same because I, I really am convinced that that is the biblical teaching. Now, I know, I know there are all kinds of creative objections to this that people have. They say, I don't really believe that all of my tithe needs to go to the local church and et cetera, et cetera. Well, you obviously have to follow your conviction. That's why we word it the way we do. I'm going to tithe 10% to the Lord's work. But don't miss the main principle. The main principle is, are you growing in generosity? Let me talk to your heart for a moment. Just, my name is Rex. I'm your friend. I'm trying to help you here. Trying to help. It is oxymoronic to say that you are really following the one, his name is Jesus, who said, according to Acts 20, verse 35b, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said, according to the testimony of the early apostles. It's oxymoronic to say you're following him if you're not growing in generosity. It just doesn't add up, and quite frankly, over time, that begins to ring of hypocrisy more than anything else. Now, some people object to tithing by saying, oh, pastor, come on, that's an Old Testament principle. Don't you know that Jesus did away with that? Jesus rejected tithing. Every time I hear somebody say that, I want to say, really? Wow, man. Jesus rejected tithing? And I'll show him my Bible and say, please show me where he did that. I want to read that. And of course, they can't show me because he didn't reject it. In fact, in two very clear references to tithing in the Gospels, they are Matthew 23, verse 23, and Luke eleven forty-two. Jesus affirmed that tithing should be practiced. In the interest of time, let's just look at one of them, Luke 11. The other one is almost identical. A few words are different, and the point is exactly the same. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. These guys were so meticulous with tithing, they even tithe from their garden herbs. Imagine that. So they practice tithing. But, Jesus said, you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter. Now, what is the latter? Justice and the love of God. Without leaving the former, what is the former that he referred to? Tithing, even off your herb garden. <laughs> Without leaving the former undone. Now, listen, folks. If Jesus had meant to reject tithe, this would have been the perfect opportunity to make it crystal clear, wouldn't it? He's talking to the Pharisees here. Uh, this verse would have read something like this. Let's go back to the previous frame. It would have said, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all their kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God, you foolish guys. Don't you know that I came here to do away with tithing? All that really matters, so stop that. Stop that foolish practice. All that really matters now is justice and the love of God. But Jesus said nothing of the sort. When faced with a perfect opportunity, if he were looking to reject it or end it, Jesus actually reaffirmed it. He said, don't neglect tithing, don't leave it undone. So what that means for Debbie and me is 
It's always been this way and it always will. Tithing is the number one thing when we make out a budget. We say that's happening no matter what. It's always been that way with us. It is today and it always will be. And we believe God has honored that in our lives in staggering ways. We believe that God has allowed us to live better off of the remaining 90% than we could have lived without his blessing on 100%. Every time we write out that check, we're making a powerful countercultural statement. I will possess my possessions. My possessions will not possess me. 2 Corinthians 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And one final little word here before we quickly move on to the other principles. If you see tithing to the church as some kind of horrific debt that you owe, you're probably never going to do it gladly and you'll find all kinds of excuses. Here's the way we see it. Not as a debt we owe, but as a seed we sow. I know that sounds cute. I know it rhymes, but it's memorable. It's sticky for us. It's not a debt we owe. It's a seed we sow, and that's how we think of it. And because we think of it as that kind of investment, we can actually give with tremendous, tremendous gladness. And I commend that practice to you. A third principle, if you want financial freedom in your life, is to live on less than you make. Proverbs 13, verse 7, reads like this. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Newsweek magazine quoted a financial expert who has been keeping statistics and says that Americans live on 108% of what they make. In other words, we're actually spending as a nation that much more than we make. Why is that true? I think it's because of this verse that we just read. We're kind of pretending. We're so accustomed to having nice things, we can't imagine doing without the super-duper cable TV package, without the latest high-tech digital sound system, the latest edition of our favorite smartphone and laptop computer, a second car, all the latest funky devices. And if we can't afford them, hey, no problem. Let's just put them on the card. We'll just pay as we can, and hopefully we'll get enough money next year we can, we can catch up with it. It's very common for young couples in our culture to have six or seven or more credit cards and to have three to $4,000 that they owe on each one of them. And they're sinking into deeper and deeper financial desperation every year. I beg you folks, I beg you to follow this principle. Spend less every year than you make. Spend less every year than you make. But that takes character and that takes discipline. In fact, there are three Christian virtues that I think are pretty rare in this world, but to live this way, to live on less than you make, requires these things. One is to be realistic. 
make a distinction between the necessities and the luxuries. And usually the second or third car, the latest edition of the smartphone and the super duper cable TV package, most of the time, those are not necessities, okay? People are stunned when we have friends over to our home and see that we don't have high-def television as much as I enjoy sports and love high-def and all that clarity and that we just have the basic cable. They're just stunned by that. Say, yeah, we could afford that, but we'd rather give that money away. We'd rather use it for other things. And so there's just some things you don't have to have. Life is okay without them. A second thing is be disciplined enough to say no to some desires. Proverbs 13, 18 reads, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. So learn to say no to some desires. Remember this principle, the pain of the payments always exceeds the pleasure of the purchase. Trust me. The pain of the payments always exceeds the pleasure of the purchase. And a third virtue is to cultivate humility. To live on less than you make requires that you swallow your pride and not pretend to have more than you actually have. But even in Christian circles, comparison and competition is rampant. Your small group has a Christmas party over at someone's house, and this family happens to have a really nice house. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing sinful about that at all. But you go into this six or $700,000 home, and it is gorgeous. You just are stunned. Your mouth is wide open. You see beautiful chandeliers in the hallway. And then out back is this gorgeous in-ground pool. And this house has all the right appointments and perfect landscaping. And you go home, and on the way home, you say, wow, how can they afford that? That's unbelievable. I'm never going to have the small group meet in our little apartment again. I mean, that's embarrassing. I mean, do you see that furniture they had? It goes back to Louis the Fourteenth. Ours goes back to Sears on the 15th. If we don't make the payments, this is embarrassing. We got to find out some way to make more money. We got to get more stuff. Don't get caught up in that rat race. That is foolishness. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 28, a rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment sees through him. Let me tell you a little secret. People with any spiritual perception at all respect a person who's living on less than they make much more than that person who's living extravagantly but is deeply in debt and financial bondage. There's lots of ways you can cut corners. We don't have time to go into all that. One of the major ones is to live in a home that is well within your means. Another one is to make sure that your car is a tool and not a status symbol. And there's all kinds of others that are smaller but really make a difference, eating at home more and trying to learn to enjoy that, cutting down on certain forms of entertainment that are expensive. But I like the way Dave Ramsey puts it in his famous statement, if you live like no one else, someday you'll live 
like no one else. And that, folks, is just the truth. A fourth principle I would commend to you is to get out of debt as quickly as possible. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now the reason I challenged young couples right up front is because many young couples I know go deeply into debt and they don't understand the negative consequences of that. Time Magazine reported that consumer debt has doubled in the past decade. According to recent statistics, 70% of the American people who have credit cards have balances over $3,000, and 75% of Americans who use credit cards make only the minimum payment, 75%. Folks, think of this. If you have a balance of $3,000 and you make only the minimum payment, it's going to take you on average about nine years to pay that off depending on the interest rate and the minimum balance amount required by the credit company. And you'll end up paying between six dollars and $11,000 depending on some of the factors there. That's why the credit companies love you so much. They love you. Every slave owner loves a compliant slave. That's why they send out over 3 billion credit card solicitations a year and call you on the phone at supper time and butter you up about all the amazing credit that you have. It is not a sin to go into debt, but I believe it becomes quite sinful to go into debt for non-essentials for frivolous things, for luxuries, and have 18 to 20% interest rates enslaving you. When you live that way as a Christian, you probably feel a bit hypocritical. You chafe, trying to keep the creditors away and stall them. You hate to answer the phone. You bicker with your family about irresponsibility. You're resentful of those who have more. And most of all, and this is the biggest sign of all, you hate it when the preacher preaches on this topic. You hate it. I found through the years, those who are following these principles love it. I get more positive input, and I don't do this often, but whenever I maybe once a year or so, speak on this topic, boy, I get more positive input than any other sermons because some people have found the key to financial freedom. Another principle I would commend to you is to save at least a little bit, save at least a little bit regularly. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. I love the way the good news ver- paraphrase puts it. Stupid people spend it as fast as they get it, and isn't that true? Now, why should you save? Why should you save? It's simply because you don't know what disasters may come. You don't know what surprises may be down the road, and it's not unspiritual to plan for things. Doctor's bills, the car accidents, pregnancy that takes away a second income. And then there's always that annual emergency called income tax payments. It tends to be more than you thought. One woman called up the IRS and asked that they would please 
take her off their mailing list. <laughs> you know what? You can't do that. You can't do that. And if you've not set anything aside and an emergency arises, guess what? You're going to go back to using those credit cards again and be right back in bondage. I strongly encourage you to follow what Mr. John Bean, yeah, I've told you about John before. John Bean, real man, he had honeybees. This is what he did vocationally. He had a huge honeybee farm, and he, he had honey that he sold to the to community in the county. And John Bean was in our church, and shortly after I became a follower of Jesus, just a teenager, John Bean came up a wise old Christian he told me for the first time I'd ever heard about the 10-10-80 freedom principle. And he said, son, he had a very deep voice. He said, son, if you give 10% to the Lord and you save at least 10% and you live wisely on the other 80%, he said, you'll never have any financial problems and you'll always be free. It's some of the best advice I've ever gotten and thanks be to God, by his grace, by his grace, I've been able to follow that principle ever since. Now, as I close today, I want to close and just give an illustration of a young couple that I happen to know are kind of living by these principles. And I share this to encourage you, especially maybe you're kind of a younger couple and you're wondering, can we really do this kind of thing? And I, I asked this couple's permission if I could use them as an example of this. And... Um, uh, I didn't even have to bribe them. They, they gave me permission, and it's my daughter, Allie, and my son-in-law, Sean. Now, Allie is 23. Sean is 25. They've been married now for just over a year and a half. Uh, they, they went into the marriage with just over $25,000 of college credit that they owed, and that's not much compared to what many people get out of college with, but to them that was pretty significant because they have nothing really, and they're just starting from scratch, okay? But they have followed these principles in an amazing way, and I'm, I'm proud of them on many levels, but I got to tell you, financially, they're off to a real start toward financial freedom. First, they've prepared a realistic budget for them. And they, they use the every dollar app. In fact, they're the ones that told us about it. It's really cool when you start learning from your kids, let me tell you. They told us about the every dollar app, and we fell in love with it too. So they know where every dollar is going. Second, not only that, but they give to God first. Now, I'll tell you, when Allie first told us that she and Sean were tithing, and this is, they just became members of Grace, by the way, and we're real happy about that. But this is way, this is when they were living in the Boston area. She said, Dad, Mom, we're, we're tithing. I was so choked up. You know why? Because we had drilled these principles into our children growing up. And I want to tell you, folks, if you love your kids, and I know you do, like we love our kids, whatever you tell your kids is what you really believe. If you're talking a good talk about tithing or any other spiritual subject, but you don't really commend it to your kids, you don't really believe it. You're just, you just got some rhetoric going. Whatever you teach your kids, that's what you really believe. We've been drilling these principles. I was so choked up when I heard. As young adults, they're choosing, as Christ followers, to tithe from their total income at least 10%. 
Oh, I'm so proud of them for that. They're just, they're just, just doing what the Bible says to do. They know all the things that that money could go to and so on, but they've just chosen to tithe right off the top. Third, they're living on less than they make. They found an apartment in the area here for less than $1,000. Now, they could have gotten an apartment much nicer, $1,500, $2,000 and more. They said, why? Why would we need to do that? No, we want to be more generous. We want to be able to save that money. They'd love to buy a house someday, but that's going to be years away. So they found an apartment for less than $1,000, and they drive a car that's 22 years old. One car. This is Grandma Yogi. They affectionately call the car Grandma Yogi. We laugh about that car. It's a 1995 Nissan, but you know what? Even though it's all rusted out, that is not a status symbol, by the way, let me tell you. That is a tool right there, not a status symbol. It's got all kinds of rust and dings and bumps on it. It's amazing, but it gets them from point A to point B. This sharp, young, professional couple driving that. Most people wouldn't be found dead in that car. I am so proud of them for knowing where their real self-esteem comes from, Jesus. (laughs) And the fact that he loves them. And so they're driving grandma, they know, they're, they're probably, she's probably going to give up the ghost sometime soon, but, and they'll have to get a different car, but they're going to pay cash for that car. Fourth, they got out of debt as quickly as possible. That just over $25,000 by living very austerely, and I'm telling you folks, I mean austerely, they slam dunked that debt in about nine months. They wanted to be out of debt as quickly as possible. They didn't want to be slaves. Amen, amen. I think it's good. I think it's good. And then the final principle, save at least a little bit regularly. They can't save a ton right now. They don't have a a ton left, but they're saving a little bit. They're getting into that practice of socking some money away and just trying to be good stewards of what God has given. And they want to live like no one else so that one day, They can live like no one else. Friend, that is a road to financial freedom. God, thank you for your life-changing principles. Help us to have the courage and the character to actually practice these. Oh, they're so easy to understand. A whole lot harder, Lord, to put into practice. So we need your grace. We need your grace to help us. And Father, I ask that for all of those today who really, who really could kind of use some, some tweaking of the way they handle money, I pray that today would be a day that you would encourage them so much they'd be courageous enough to take those steps. Thank you for the freedom that you bring when we do it your way. In Jesus' name, amen.